If not, I invite you to turn with me to the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. As you're making your way there, I have just one verse that I want to read from the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It reads this, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is giving a type of defense over his apostleship. He is dealing with questions concerning what he is doing, concerning his purposes and how he has came and how he has served and ministered to the Corinthians and dealing with these hypothetical questions that would concern whether or not he has the liberties that he himself has chosen not to follow after, that he instead might be found as a good servant of the Lord. And he wrestles then with whether or not there should be that which would be a reward for him. That if he is dealing with these eternal things and ministering to the Corinthians, ministering to others concerning the eternal nature of their souls, that there be some temporary reward. He talks about that those that would live after the gospel, that would preach the gospel, should live according to the gospel. There would be a reward for that, a, a wage for that. But all these things he keeps talking about, and he begins to reach the conclusion in verse 15, 16, 17, and 18 concerning these things, that while there should be a reward for that, he does not preach for some earthly reward. He's saying my ministry, my service is that I am compelled to tell others about the greatness of Christ. He is compelled. He founds himself that it is is burning in his bones that there is this desire that he has that he would preach the gospel. He says that it woe unto him if he does not preach the gospel. So he sees all of this concerning his ministry and concerning his apostleship. And he comes to verse 19 and he begins to lay out further about what he has done in laying aside his rights, laying aside his freedoms, laying aside his privileges for the purposes of carrying the gospel. Paul identifies specifically how he has denied himself that he might by any means or by all means win some. Read with me here 1 Corinthians chapter 9 beginning at verse 19. He says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more, that I might win the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might win them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. He keeps going and gives this comparison to athletics. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, practices self-control. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown or a perishing crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, and so I fight, not as one that beateth the air. 
But I keep under my body. I, I bring my body under subjection. He says, I discipline my body, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And we'll stop there at the conclusion of the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul begins to talk about how he has denied his freedoms. Paul is, is living as a, as a one who has been born as a, as a Roman, and he can enjoy the freedoms of life accordingly. Not only so, but now he has been saved, he has tasted that the Lord is gracious, and as a result of that, he has the freedoms and the liberties that come with, with being born again in Christ Jesus. He says, I have these freedoms. And he says, nevertheless, while I have these freedoms, I am made a servant of all. Paul does not find these freedoms, these privileges of life, as something to hold on to that he might enjoy for himself, but instead that he would set them aside that he might instead serve others. And he begins to talk about how he does this. He says that there would be a Jew, one who is under the law. And he says, to that Jew, to that one who is under the law, so do I become that which is under the law. He says, to that Gentile who doesn't know the law, who is without the law, so then I become without the law. He says, the law is, is of nothing to me that I should try to uphold it. I have found this freedom in Christ Jesus. He says, I am underneath the law of Christ. And he says, and being underneath the law of Christ, if there be some Jew that would be upholding some certain things considering the Jewish law and observances, I'm going to be okay with going with him that I might win him. And to the Gentile who doesn't do those things, then I won't do those things either that I might win him. Now I hope we understand here, and I'm just going to say this to qualify it, to get it out of the way. It is understood that what Paul is talking about are only those things that don't transgress the law of God. He's not talking about doing things that would be sinful in trying to reach people. He's not talking about doing things that would be outside of the command of Christ to reach people. But what he is talking about, he's saying that where there are those things that are in accordance with, with Christianity and according with the commandments of Christ, I'm going to do those things to win people even if it means that I would deny my freedoms and my privileges. He's doing what Christ had said. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Earlier on in this ninth chapter, there's a question about whether or not Paul as an apostle would be right to have a wife that would go with him. And he says, of course, it would be okay if I had a wife. But Paul has chosen not to, that he might win those to Christ. He has not seen his freedoms as something to hold on to and enjoy for a season. But instead, that Sunday would be things that he would put over here, that he would put on hold, that he would deny, that he would forego, that he would relinquish, that he might instead go to win some to Christ. Now, I want to talk about the word win for a second. When we think about what it means to win one to Christ, we know that that one that would come to belief, one that would come to be saved, that that's completely between them and the Lord. 
It's 100% between God and man and in the saving business. It is not something where we can intervene somehow and save someone. That's not what Paul is talking about when he says that by all means I might save some. But instead, what he is talking about is that he might be presenting and declaring to them the gospel that they might fall on their faces before God and be saved. That He would be that which would carry the gospel that would lead to their conversion. We're to be in the soul winning business. Our lives, if, if you were to have a business card concerning your life, at the top of that business card, you might have a bunch of titles on it and you might have dad or mom or husband or wife, brother, sister, church member, all these titles, but the top title should be, I am a soul winner for Christ. God has saved us unto good works that we might serve as witnesses of the living God. And so then, seeing that we have this call upon our life, as Paul would later tell the Corinthians, that we are ambassadors of Christ, then we must be willing to lay aside our freedoms and our privileges that we by all means might win some. Now, we use that phrase sometimes, by all means. Here in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be up at Bethel for the association. I guess I should say next week, I'll be up at Bethel for the association. And I'm going to be sitting at a table and inevitably somebody's going to wander over to this table with me and they're going to say, is anybody sitting here? Or they'll say, may I sit here? And I'll say, by all means, you may sit here. What do I mean when I say that? I say, of course, or certainly you may sit here. That's not the reference Paul's using though. Paul is saying, by all means, according to all resources, according to all abilities, according to all manners that are available to us, that we should use those to win others. By all means that are available to us, we should use those means to win souls for Christ. What's that look like in 2021? We see Paul talking about what this looks like in his day. That to the Jew, he'd become as a Jew. To those that are without the law, he'd become as without the law. To the weak, he'd become as weak. But what's that look like in our day? What's it look like to lay aside our freedoms or our privileges today? What's it look like to, by all means, win some? That's the question that I want to wrestle with for a few minutes today. First, I want us to consider the freedoms and the privileges that we are called to deny. Those things that we are called to to, to not hold on to or to see as something to, to covet after or something to cling to, but instead those things that might be fully available to us by right, yet are not those things to be grasped as though they are anything, but instead they are temporary things that we determine not to involve ourselves in, that we instead might be about the gospel. The reality is, is that tomorrow, the day after, the day after that, you're going to wake up and you're going to wake up with liberty. We live in a country that um, so long as God would, would choose to, to protect it, we have freedoms that we enjoy here. You're going to wake up and you're going to be able to do whatever it is that you want to do. Now, some of you are, are compelled to work, but even then you could wake up and call in sick and choose not to work. 
Some of you are compelled to, to engage in different activities or different hobbies of life, but you can choose not to do those things too. You have the freedom to choose what you're going to do. And in fact, we see this throughout time concerning what we choose or what we endeavor to do. Some of you have big goals in your life that you want to accomplish. You're in the midst of, of making big life decisions or big life changes. And there are things that constrain you and compel you according to those choices that you have made concerning your life. And oftentimes we make those choices according to what we want and according to what we prefer. And I want you to know that there's nothing inherently wrong with that. We have the freedom, we have the ability that that according to, to the means that we have available to us, that we can make those choices. Now, my mom, when I was growing up, her favorite thing to say to me as she would be leaving or, or, or she would come and visit me and then she would leave or I'd be leaving in their house or something, she would say, make good choices. And so we should make good choices concerning those things that we decide to involve ourselves with according to the freedoms and liberties that we have. Here's the problem. Is that a lot of times we mistake the good choices that we make because they aren't anything that would go against the commands of Christ or go anything or do anything that would be against the scriptures. And so we say according to them, well these must be things that are all right. But the things that are alright are not necessarily expedient to us and they're not necessarily profitable to us. So we would do well not merely to say, Lord, is there anything inherently wrong with this? But God, is this profitable to the work that you have given me for your kingdom? Are the things that I'm compelled to do, are they the worthwhile things for me to do that I might be effective in talking and reaching others? And in this way, I think sometimes we become our own worst enemies. Because we begin to desire our preferences above desiring to serve others. Now, In the book of Romans, Paul deals with this idea of preferring others. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He tells us that in honor, we are to prefer one another. And in that way, he's talking about brothers and sisters, that we're to give preference to our brothers and sisters as it comes to our affairs and dealings in life, and, and we should. But when we talk about serving others or giving preference to others, as we would see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that is beyond just the household of faith. That is beyond just talking about our brothers and our sisters. We are called to serve all that are around us. Did you hear me? Even that sinner on the street that you don't think that there should be any dealings with, we are called to serve them. To serve. To be willing, as Paul did, to deny himself. To serve a bunch of people here on in the city of Corinth, on this little isthmus, where people are traveling through all the time and there is just sin that is rampant, yet Paul made it a choice of his not to be compelled by his freedoms, but instead that he would lay those things aside that he might win some to Christ. So what are your preferences? Let's deal with your preferences for a minute. Now, if you're like me, 
You have those things that you enjoy. You have your hobbies. You have the things that you prefer to do. And a lot of times, there's nothing wrong with those preferences. You enjoy some activity that you like to go and do, and maybe it's exercise or something that keeps you healthy. You have your favorite television show. Maybe you're a big movie buff. Whatever your circumstances are in life, you find those things that you enjoy. And every once in a while, you're going to find yourself called away from those things for the purpose of serving another. Are you willing to deny your freedoms to enjoy those privileges of life to serve others? And most of you would probably say, yeah, I, I can do that. Let's take it a little bit further. You have the responsibilities at your house, to your families, to your wife, to your husbands, to your children. Children, you have the responsibilities to obey your parents. And so, maybe on a Thursday evening, a Tuesday night, a Monday night, you're home from work, you've finished your responsibilities at home, and you have those needs to be there for your family. But every once in a while, you're going to be called away from even that to go and serve one that you might win for Christ. Did you know we're called to do that too? Derek, I... You're calling me to, to forsake my responsibilities at home. I didn't say to forsake your responsibilities at home. We are called to do both. And sometimes that means that we have to determine how we balance those things that we might win souls for Christ. That we might say, honey, listen, I know that I have said that I was going to put the kids to bed tonight, but I just got this phone call from this sinner who is questioning different circumstances of their lives. I must go to them. Because my children will probably not remember that random Thursday night in September that I didn't put them to bed, but that sinner who is determining and wrestling with these questions of eternal matters, they will remember through all eternity this night. You see the difference? Now, if you went too far in this and suddenly you just neglected your home for the purpose of these things, I'd call you out on the other side for this. There's a ditch on both sides what I'm trying to tell you. But we must labor and endeavor that we would be willing to sacrifice the freedoms that we enjoy, sacrifice the liberties, sacrifice even our preferences that we would win souls for Christ. So then, what do we do? How, how, how are we to do this? How, how, Derek, how do I make those decisions? I'll, I'll just give you an example from my life this week. I had someone call me last weekend and they had a, a young man that they were familiar with who was, was wrestling with some things and, and struggling with some things and they called me up and said, Derek, would you be willing to, to talk to this, this young man? Would you be willing to, to meet with him? I said, yes, yeah, send me his information. I'll get with him. And so I did. And, and Tuesday night, I, I went and met, met him for, for cold fries and a drink at McDonald's. Fries were very cold. <laughs> but I had a good conversation with him about the Lord. Specifically, he says, I've been dealing with this question of what happens when I die. And he says that I've, I've just been broken in tears over this question. Listen, it is 
going to infect all of us that at some point in life you wrestle with that question, what happens to me when I die? And this young man is doing well to wrestle with it while he's only 19 years old. I had responsibilities at home Tuesday night. I had responsibilities at work Tuesday night. But those things were put on pause because there was this soul who was wrestling with eternal questions. You say, well, Derek, you're you're the pastor. You're supposed to do those things. We are called to win souls for Christ. Sometimes you'll find yourself that you can't leave a situation and a phone call has to work or you can't rid yourself of such a circumstance and so it's 11 o'clock at night and you have to go and do those things. But what I want to challenge you to do is to be willing to sacrifice your preferences that you might win some. I was thinking about this question and I was thinking about what it looks like to engage with people. And I was thinking about some of the old people at the church. I shouldn't say old people. Some of the more wise at the church and about the testimonies that I've heard them give from time to time. I've heard Brother Allen's testimony of, of how he got saved and how the people at his work were the ones who had such an influence on him as it came to him coming to find the Lord. I've heard Brother Leland's testimony. And he talks about men who would stop by his house and encourage him to, to go to church, the impact that they had on his life. And the reality of what you see is that people, whether they are at work, whether they were just taking time to stop by and visit with somebody, that they were making these sacrifices, being willing to, to forego their preferences or the things they prefer to talk about, to prefer to do, that they might instead win souls for Christ. Now we live in a time, in a day and age, where that's getting increasingly difficult for us to do that. Where Brother Gary at a lunch break and around a, a break room table, him and his co-workers being able to talk about things of the Lord is a lot different than my day at work. And the opportunities, or should I say lack thereof, to be able to talk about things of the Lord. And so what we're going to find ourselves with is that we're going to have to be willing and able to, to read through and determine how we can do those things. Now that's what Paul starts to talk about next. He gives this comparison to athletics. And he starts off and he starts talking about running a race. That those that run a race, that all of them are running to receive one prize. You might have 10, 15, 20 people more in a race, and you have all these people running this race, but only one person can win the race. You can see in the connection here. As we strive that we might win souls, we must determine to prepare, we must determine to, to run the race that we might be the one who wins. And make no mistake that there is an adversary who is competing for the souls that are at stake. That the adversary is desiring that those souls that are lost and in their sins, that they might never come to know the redemption that is offered through Christ. And he is fighting against us and his desire is to make the church so busy that we can't win souls. There is nothing more that the devil wants to do in your life than to make you too busy to do things for the Lord. Some of you, that probably needs to convict you a little bit. 
I was telling Brother Gary earlier, I'm real busy. And I am. But I'm grateful to say that most of the things that I'm busy with are things of the Lord. Most of the things in my life that, that I, I have to do, most of the things in the life that I choose to do are things for the Lord. And you know what I find? That the more that I avail myself to do those things for the Lord, the more the Lord uses me to do them. Listen, you say, Derek, I just feel like I'm not being used of the Lord. My two follow-up questions to you are going to be, how's your prayer life? Are you spending time with God? Because I'm guessing you might not be. And number two, are you making yourself available to be used of God? What I have found in life is that if you busy yourself so much that God's just going to move on to the next person to accomplish His will for this life. Listen, God's got a lot of good people. His army's bigger than we think it is. And if you find that you're just too busy, you're too entangled, what Paul tells Timothy? He says, no man going to make war entangles himself with the affairs of life. And what we have is a bunch of entangled people that God has called to win souls for Christ and they can't get on the battlefield. Paul talks a little bit about that warfare earlier on in this chapter. I encourage you to read it. But he keeps going along these lines of this this athletic comparison. He says, Every man that striveth for mastery, everyone that is desiring to prepare themselves to run this race, to compete for this prize, has self-control. That they have made it, that they control their bodies, they, they discipline their bodies, and they do so. They all spend all their time. Think about an Olympian. An Olympian trains all their lives. So you see the 100 meter sprint in the Olympics, and you have these men and these women who are faster than anybody else on earth, and they have spent all this time learning to run these races, and to run in such ways, and to train in such ways, that they can do so faster than any other human on the the planet and they will train all their lives and the race is over in less than 10 seconds the work that we're doing is far superior it's not for a 10 second race but it is for things that impact eternity And so I challenge you and I call you, as Paul does, if those men that desire to run that race and to win that prize do so for an incorruptible prize, yet we do it, or for a corruptible prize, yet we do it for an incorruptible one, how much more should we desire to practice self-control and to bring ourselves underneath discipline that we might win souls for Christ? He says, I therefore I run. He says, not as uncertainly. He says, I run, I do these things with a purpose. He says, I fight, I box, not as one who hits or strikes the air, but as one who has and knows his opponent. 
He says, and I discipline my body, and I bring it under subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Matthew Henry said this about this passage. He talked about how it was that Paul had a fear of God, yes, but he also had a fear of himself. That when it came to winning souls for Christ, he saw it so important to be watchful and mindful of himself, fearing that what stood between God and reaching souls was him not doing the work that God had called him to do. Think about that for a minute. What if all that is standing between your coworker, between your friend, between your loved one, between your family member, whomever it might be, coming to know the Lord is you not doing the things that God has called you to do. How much more then should we be careful as it comes to these things? I'm going to try to close. But as I want to do, I want to, I want to say this. When it comes to this collectively, I've been talking about our lives individually here today, but Paul was talking to a church. He was talking to the Corinthians there, the Corinthian church. And as he was writing to this group of brothers and sisters, there is an impact here on the church that we by all means, by all means should desire to win souls to Christ. And what I have a great fear of is that lots of times what stands in our way of winning souls for Christ is us. That we become our own worst enemy when it comes to the high calling that God has called us to do to win souls for Christ. Now, I'm thankful here at the church that we have these different enterprises that we engage in and they are good things and they are purpose that we might be influential, that we might have an effect to those that are around us. Things like the fair parade, things like VBS, all these different things that we do that are done with the mind towards others that we can tell about the good news of Jesus. But when we think about those things that we do from time to time, let us not be forgetful about the things that we are called to do constantly. (laughs) When we think and we consider how and what it is that we can do as a church to reach souls, we must do so first and foremost according to the Scriptures. I want to make that clear. But then we must be looking to all the means available to us and saying, God, how can we use what you have given us to reach souls? Some of you have talent. Some of you have more talent than than I have in my left shoe. And your ability to talk to people, to evangelize, to witness. Some of you have experiences of life that, that I don't. You've gone through and you've dealt with depression. You've dealt with with, with addiction issues. You've struggled through different circumstances and parts of your life. Some of you have talents to to sing and to play instruments. Some of you just have, have a desire and a compassion about you and an empathy about you that exceeds anyone else that I probably will ever know. And all of those things can be of great use to you individually. But I want you to know that they can be of great use to you here at the church. 
I was talking to a, a fellow pastor yesterday and he was talking to me about how he just had this burden on his heart to, to, to start some sort of rehabilitation uh, group at his church. And that's a good thing. I've heard of others that have desired to have an orphanage or desires to have schools or desires to have these enterprises or that one. And those are all good, worthwhile ideas. Worthwhile things to do to reach souls. What prevents us from doing those things? For though I have, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant to all. Today I want to challenge you, Faith Church. I want to challenge you, my brother. I want to challenge you, my sister. To consider what means you are currently using to reach souls for Christ. Are you doing those things that are only convenient? Are you doing those things only in accordance with what you can do without sacrificing your freedoms and your liberties and your preferences? Are you only witnessing when it's convenient? Are you only witnessing when it is that there's that opportunity that's just so obvious to you? Are you only engaging in the familiar? Are you only engaging the things that feel comfortable to you? Or are you instead willing to sacrifice your liberty, sacrifice your freedom, sacrifice your preferences, sacrifice your comfort level for those things that might win some? Now here's where i got to qualify this a little bit. I'm preparing a subject that I'll be presenting at the association next week on this very subject. Hence you can see where my thoughts have been in this direction. But as I've been doing this and as I've been trying to, to wrestle with the question of how it is that we can present the gospel in a way that makes it real and relevant and, and, and that others would desire it, what I've been faced with is confronting the reality of my own life, confronting the reality of, of what we do here at the church. What I have found as I have looked in the mirror, what I have found as I have been on my knees, what I have found as I have tried to, to look through the Scriptures and understanding what is it that we are called to do to reach souls, what I have found is often in my life, what I have found to cons- be considered successful or good enough is just the minimum. Is just the minimum. Listen. We can be satisfied with just the minimum. You know, I'm a consultant at work and I'll talk to companies sometimes and I'll be talking about the things that they're doing or trying to do and we'll talk about the MVP. <clears throat> you know what the MVP is? It's the minimum viable product. What's the least we can do? And we kind of have a habit sometimes in the church that says, what's the least we can do? Let us change our thinking. I don't think that was ever something Paul considered to you. What's the least that I can do to reach the people in Corinth? What's the least that I can do that I might reach the people over there in Rome? Do you know how God ultimately called the Gospel to Rome? It was by Paul being imprisoned there and passing letters up through a little hole in the top of his jail cell. Was Paul doing the least that he could do? I suppose he was doing all that he could do. All that he could do was pass a letter up through a hole in the ceiling where he was in prison. 
Are you doing the least that you can do? Or are you doing all that you can do? Are we as faith church doing the least that we can do? Or are we doing all that we can do? I want to say this, and I don't say this to to uplift any man, but with Brother Jeff's dad passing away, and I never knew Brother Eugene very well, but I have heard of his stories and the things of his life a lot just by other brothers and sisters that have had a great respect and regard for Brother Eugene talking about him. There's others that fit this too. Brother Paul Bryson, uh, Brother Jones, Brother Rick Jones, and others that find themselves in countries where nobody looks like them, nobody speaks the language that they speak, and yet God has called them there that by all means they might win some. And I think about lives lived like Brother Eugene, like the life of Brother Bryson, like the life of Brother Jones, and I ask myself, am I doing the least or am I doing all that I can do? I want to challenge you to do all that you can do. Isn't that the Army's motto? Or it used to be, be all that you can be. I guess I'm borrowing from them a little bit. When I ask you, are you doing all that you can do? I thank you for listening to me. I pray that God bless His message. Something on your heart today. Something the Lord wants you to say or do.